Hi, and welcome to, to the uh, It's Not Rocket Science 5 questions over coffee. <clears throat> I'm here with um, Wait with my, with my coffee in hand. Well done, Robin. <laughs> Got one too. <laughs> here with Robin Wait uh, with uh, our five questions. And Robin is the fearless business coach. Uh, he's uh, someone who's helping shake things up, certainly in, in the areas of marketing for, um, for small businesses that are you know, thinking about the way in which they price their businesses. And I think we're going to have a, a good chat about that uh, today, Robin. So um, let's start off with the first of the questions which we normally launch into here. So what's the biggest challenge you find your ideal client has? Uh, and, uh, and, and and let's just sort of describe that in a few sentences. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I work predominantly with um, service client businesses, so sort of coaches, consultants, freelancers. And one of the biggest challenges that they, they have in scaling their, their small business or agency is, um, well, they, they perceive it to be a marketing problem. So they, they see that they need to get more clients. The reality is um, that most of them haven't fixed a lot of the inherent problems in their, their business in the first place. So imagine the scenario, um, Stuart, where you've got this really cute little Fiat 500 car, okay, 500cc um, engine in it, and you go and fill it up with rocket fuel, well, it's not going to go any faster, but it's probably going to, the, the rocket fuel is going to rattle it around, and then eventually pistons will fire off, and the whole thing just implodes. And and obviously, as we know, rocket fuel is designed for rockets. So in this really terrible analogy, that the the, um, the 500cc engine is uh, the business engine, and what they haven't done is got things like, you know, the accounts right, the uh, sales and marketing processes right. They haven't got their internal systems um, functioning properly and efficiently. Maybe they're not addressing all of the, you know, they're, they're just not they're just not efficient. They're not a rocket engine yet. And yet what they want to do is they want to get loads more clients, either rocket fuel, adding into this engine, which is a bit rickety. And then eventually the whole thing's going to implode and they're left kind of scratching their heads going, well, I did all the things the experts and gurus told me to do, and I tried to do marketing, and it, and it just didn't work for me. Yeah, yeah, I love that analogy, actually, Robin. I really do think that's a great analogy because too many people do attempt to fix everything before they've got the basics, don't they? And, and you're absolutely right. People sit there and go, well, it didn't work for me. And the answer to the reason why it didn't work for you is probably because you weren't in the right place for it in the beginning. 100%, absolutely. And the other thing as well is, like, you know, rocket fuel's expensive. Like, let's not lie. Like you know, if 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 it was if it was cheap, then we'd probably all have got to the moon a lot quicker than we have done. You know, but rocket fuel and kind of building rocket ships is super expensive, and I think a lot of people misunder or underestimate that that mm -hmm. sort of whole fact. So, I mean, there's a couple of ways that, you know, I've, I've seen businesses really um, sort of, it, it, okay, we'll stick with the rocket ship analogy. You know, it, it takes a lot of momentum for a rocket ship to do the first 90 miles to get into the upper atmosphere. Um, so you see these huge, great big burners on the side of it, which when you get up to 90 miles, they get blasted off to the side. And then you end, you end up with this tiny little rocket ship, which was sort of sat on the top of the, um, you know, the, these big boosters to do the first bit. And then that tiny little, the second stage, you know, where those big boosters are blown away, the second stage, one little engine, which takes you up into um, into orbit, you know, um, sort of 250, 300 miles above the Earth. And it, it, again, it's a, whether it's a good analogy or a bad one, I don't know, Stuart. <laughs> a lot of business owners are really underestimating the fact that you need to build up so much momentum just to get to the, through those first sort of stages of growth in the business that, you know, once you've kind of created that momentum, you know, and gone through all of that hard work, it does actually get a little bit easier. But you've got to burn through a lot of rocket fuel, the super expensive bit to get up to that first stage of growth in the first place. 
I think we're probably better better stop too too much more going down this because NASA will be on the phone to us explaining how this actually works. And and, and but I think your your analogy is brilliant there, actually, Robin, because you're absolutely right. It it is super expensive. People don't necessarily put the burners on at the right time. They have a they have a can we do this? You know, by just spending a little bit of money and sort of you know, then when they don't reach anything more than a few feet off the ground, they look at you and go, "How come that didn't work?" Then you go, "Well, because beginning an enterprise like this takes an awful lot of energy and effort." After that, it's uh, it becomes self-fulfilling. It becomes one of those things that just carries on and just works without needing quite the same input. So it's a good analogy. I love it. I do like it. And, and, and those are the sort of common mistakes you find that people try to solve that problem without any sort of help. They just they don't know when to put the right effort in. They put in too much effort or they put in the wrong sort of effort. And it just it burns through money. It burns through through their, their, their budgets. They burn through their energy before they've got anywhere. Yeah, well, what it comes down to is it's it's um, that the perceptions are just wrong about understanding what marketing is all about. So I I, have to, I built my first um, commercial website for a client. And that's not what I do now, by the way. I, don't, I used to run a marketing agency for 12 years where we did web design and branding. And I've been coaching businesses now for four and a half years. But my first commercial website in 2004, all you needed back then was a website, a business card, and a BNI networking sort of membership. And you could get clients. It was like, it was super easy then. You know, you look at sort of TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, all these platforms just didn't exist back then. Or if they did, they were in their infancy. And so we're in this like bubble now where the internet has created this global marketplace, this, this business world at your fingertips. So it's made it super easy to get online and to reach people. But there's 10 times the number of businesses as they're yeah. worth 30 years ago, which means that, you know, 10 times the number of coaches, 10, well, infinitely more web designers because websites didn't exist back then, but 10 times the number of marketers, 10 times the number of coaches, consultants, you know, you name it. Whatever industry you're in, it's hugely oversaturated, not least because there's lots more businesses locally, but now also this global marketplace. So we've sold this dream that marketing and getting online as the business owner is really easy. The reality is that there's just too much choice, massively oversaturated. Not only that, but then you've got the platform like complex or dilemma going on here, which is, you know, I want to market my business, but which platform do I market it on? Because there's too much choice. And the challenge with that is, um, you know, Stuart, if I knocked on your, came knocking on, well, it would be a bit weird during the pandemic, but if I came knocking on the door, Stuart, with a box of um, encyclopedias and you you asked me a simple question, Robin, do I need an encyclopedia? What do you think I'm going to tell you? You're going to say, Probably not. Yeah, go on, sorry. So, so you'd say, yeah, I, well, I would say, yeah, you need an encyclopedia. And it's the same with Twitter. You're going to speak to a Twitter expert, you need Twitter. If you're LinkedIn expert, you need LinkedIn. Website, you need the kick-ass website. You know, you name it, all of the platforms, every expert says, use my, my chosen platform. So which one do we actually know is the best? It's like, you know, $50 million question. And so the simplest way around that is to um, just go through a process of testing like and validating the different platforms and working out which one your ideal client hangs out on and then go there regularly and often with the same consistent content and eventually you'll start to build an audience that way. Imagine, imagine if you're on 10 platforms, if you put 10% effort into one thing, you're not gonna get very far with it and that's what's happening. You're just you know, wasting a load of energy and time Whereas actually, if you just double down on one, two or three platforms, it's more than likely you could build a successful small business. And you're right. The the secret to that is to test, 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 isn't it? It's to test one, see the result, test another, see the result, test another. And then I always use the the the, 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 the figure to, to people that I talk to. 
that if you find success in one, double down on it. Because once you've managed to, to get that success, if you put 20%, 30%, 40% more effort into each one of those, you'll double every time that you do it. So stop sort of, you know, as you were saying, spreading all your energy thin, learn what works. And then once you've got that, that ratio of sort of, you know, this one works, double, double, double every time until such time as you, you know, you, you're actually beginning to get the results you need to see from them. That's it. hundred percent. And one of the other challenges, well, it, like marketing can be super expensive. I'm touched on that sort of in the intro. So how do we afford to do all of the different marketing activities that are out, that are out there? And kind of this is where it comes into going back to that original business engine. Like what, what can we fix that's going to have the greatest impact in the shortest amount of time? So this is where we get onto sort of the productization process. Mm-hmm. I guess you call it my superpower, where you, you restructure somebody's offer and teach them how to articulate their value. And um, I, don't, I don't know where most of the listeners are, Stuart, but in, if, if a lot of them are in the UK, this will probably sound quite familiar. A lot of people in the UK are very humble human beings and don't like to shout about the amazing results which they get for their clients. And so as a result of that, they're naturally sort of um, uh, pegging themselves back in terms of their potential success. So the way the way we start to go through the productization process is one, well, if you're charging by the hour, you know, or by the day, you're actually doing it all wrong. That's not how we price products or services. Because what you're doing is every time you, you sell an hour of your time, well, you, you're selling a little piece of your soul that you're never going to be able to get back. So what we try and do is we try and get clients much more focused on our business owners, much more focused on what is the the amazing or remarkable result or outcome which you produce for your clients and then price based on that. And typically, it's normally worth about two or three times what their existing hourly rate is worth. Because two key things they've forgotten to include in that. Because I could sell an hour of my time, and, and I, I, you, I don't know, you might, you could sell an hour of your time. They're probably going to be different values, and everybody will place a different value on their time. But there's two key ingredients missing. One, most business owners, when they're pricing their time, forget about the overheads that, that it takes in order to sell some of that time. So in, like most consultants that I know, they might um, be busy four or five days a month. They forget, the other 15 days a month, they're spinning their wheels, doing networking meetings, like sales calls, marketing, all of the different sort of platforms and things like that. Uh, probably, you know, school runs and all the rest of it. So they've got their home life bumping into their work life. But they're actually only getting paid for four or five days a month. And then scratching their head going, well, why aren't I making enough money? <laughs> so, and but it's because they're not taking into consideration all of that you know the 15 days that support the five days in terms of overheads the second thing which they're not taking into consideration is their intellectual property and their knowledge um so great great story which probably many people have heard about is um uh picasso or the uh, famous art i think it's about picasso famous artist you know he uh he's in a cafe and this woman recognizes him and says oh you're that famous artist aren't you can you draw me a picture so he gets a napkin spends five minutes sketching out a, a picture and then he's handing it over to her and he says, that'll be 10,000 francs, please. And she goes, that can't be 10,000 francs. And he took you five minutes and he said, no, my dear, it took me 40 years, you know, to learn the skills and the expertise in order to be able to draw a picture that good and that quickly. So, and, and again, most experts don't take that into account. So by the time you add in intellectual property and knowledge, and your overhead, you should probably be charging. It's like a third, a third, a third for me. So a third for your time, a third for overheads, a third for IP. So you should be charging three times a going rate. And at which point, international sign of distress comes out. 
I couldn't possibly charge that much. Nobody will ever buy from me at those prices. All my customers will leave. And, and then you have to start that next conversation, which is, right, okay, well, how can we articulate the value so people do want to buy from you at that price? Thing is as well, when you charge more, it's quite interesting what happens because, you, well, A, you can afford to have far fewer clients, okay? So previously we're sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell cycle of doom going on, right? And, and then you get ill or take a holiday, deep breath, Sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver. The moment you, you, you put your prices up, like your world, your universe expands. Sorry, we're going back into space analogies here. Universe expands, right? And you get, you can have far fewer clients. You get more time to deliver a better quality product, which produces more income on the back end of it, which, you know, and so everything slows down at that point. And it's oh, it's great. You get a really nice sort of pace of life to things, and it feels much more like a lifestyle business, which is what everybody wants. Interesting, you put it like that, and I, I, I don't want to steal your thunder on this, but I had a client who had a a similar problem, and um, one of the things that we uh, he 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 did was he he almost he did almost collapse. He, he almost killed himself with working and working and working, and so overnight he just thought there's only one way to break this cycle, and he just doubled his prices. And he doubled his prices. And I said, are you afraid of this? And he went, no, uh, I don't want as many clients because I'm burnt out. And he had people coming to him and saying, well, um, I, I'd like you to do this work. And he went, well, my prices have changed is this. And they went, well, if you're going to deliver the same results you did last time, I'm still prepared to pay it. And he thought one of the things that he first thought was, well, why didn't I do this years ago? Because apparently they really value the results. They just weren't telling me in their invoice payments. Yeah. But the other thing he said, he found he'd get people coming to him and saying, I understand you're very expensive, therefore you must be good. And as a result, he was getting more people coming, speaking to him and saying, well, you're one of the most expensive people around. You must get good results. And he sort of was there going, I'm doing the same work. But there was a perception issue that apparently being expensive meant that you were much better. And he would start saying to me, I don't know why I didn't do this years ago. And I said to him, largely, his name was Michael. Largely, Michael, you hadn't realised just how good you were. It's about you. It's not about them or about your work. It was your. It was particularly your mindset. There was some. I've got a couple of really interesting stories actually. Which one should I pick? I'll pick the copywriter. Um, so there, there, uh, um, one of my mentors was. Um, he's one of the best copywriters. He used to work um, work for Agora and actually trains up a lot of their writers nowadays. And um, he he had to do. He used to write sort of two page sales letters and still does. So like proper, you know, for for direct mail, direct response copywriting. And he used to charge $5,000 to write a two-page sales letter. And he said, one day this chap comes along and says, I, I, I need it. I need the two-page sales letter. It's got to be absolutely you know, brilliant. And it's got to be like with me in 24 hours. Okay, how much is that going to cost me? And my, um, my, my mentor didn't really like the guy that much. And so he, he, first of all, he was like, well, first of all, you get the quick tax put on it. You need it tomorrow. Second of all, you're going to get the PITAF tax, pain in the ass factor tax, which we're also going to add on to that. So he put it in for 50K. And the guy said yes. What he'd also <laughs> wanted to negotiate as well, and there's a there's a, um, a hook to this story as well. But what he also negotiated in that same project was a 025 percent commission for any sale that was generated. It was a four hundred million dollar campaign, right? So you do oh, the math on that, worth one or two pounds. Um, but the hook to it was he was like it, he never charged less than fifty thousand dollars again after that. 
because it's up to that point he didn't realize he could charge that much for writing a sales day he didn't realize he was that good or could get like he got good results but it wasn't really it was you know difficult sometimes to quantify especially with direct response so that's i mean that's like a 10x price increase you know and you could afford to have like you know he, at one point he said i was doing like three or four sales letters every six months traveling around the world and that was brilliant what a lifestyle um fantastic example which was along what you said as well was um i'm gonna do both sorry stuart um <laughs> Uh, the second example, another mentor of mine taught me about sales. He used to run a printing company. So they used to do packaging, product packaging. And um, at the time, this is back in, I think, the late 80s, early 90s, when the design was generally done for free because they did the design for free so the warehouse could then make the, the packaging, the products. And they, that, that was where they thought the money was at. And so that, that my mentor kept on doing, they kept on doing all these designs for free. And then people would just go and shop around for the cheapest yeah. product. Yeah. design and then they disappear so they they put on a 10k price tag for the design element of it nobody else was doing this so to back up what you're saying on first of all the first thing everybody said was well you must be good if you're charging for it the second thing is when you pay 10k for a design back in the like late 80s early 90s which was a lot of money then even then um who do you think they went to for the packaging yeah absolutely it's a, yeah <laughs> Yeah, you've already you've already made that much spend. You might as well keep with it, hadn't you? Hundred percent. And what was remarkable from a business perspective, the um, they had four four people, four people. There we go. Four people working in the um, design team. They had forty working in the production warehouse, um, and the uh, design team ended up being ten times more profitable yes, of course. than production because it's you know super super slim margin. Um, and again, he was like, you know, we never went back from that. In fact, we just started elevating our price when we started to get known for doing really good quality designs. And he was like, at that point as well, we had skin in the game. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of designers, yeah. you, you get um, uh, sort of frustration, pent up frustration because they want, you know, a customer would want revisions doing. It's like, we haven't paid for it. Now you want more. But in this instance, it was like 10K until your design's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we could we could spend hours possibly talking about this, but it takes me to another one of my big, um, big hobby horses around this, which is, you know, business owners tend to sell on the feature, not the benefit. You know, if you start thinking about the benefit, you could absolutely sort of sell in terms of, well, if this doubles your turnover, this troubles your turnover, I want 10 percent of that. And, you know, when you look at it and go, well, 10 percent of, of a doubling or a trebling, that's that's a, that can be hugely valuable. And yet you, you, the business you're working for still gets to keep 90 percent. Why wouldn't they want an extra 90 percent of a doubling or a trebling? And, and, and why don't you, if you're contributing that as a consultant coach, why are you not getting a small percentage of it? That 0.25 percent that you said of your, your friend who sort of put in a 50,000 50, pound sales letter. Absolutely. They should get 0.25 percent of it. Why not? And if that's the, the results they deliver, that's the benefit they should be selling on. Anyway, look, we could move on. We ought to move on because we'll be here for hours. And, I, and we try to keep these down to hopefully less than two and a half hours. So let's, let, me just, <laughs> let me just go to it. So what is that valuable free action or, or free resource that you want to point people towards that can get help with some of this thinking about some of their pricing? Yeah, so, um, well, there's several actually. So I, um, my, my whole... Uh, sort of ideology around product, the productization process um, came from several books, actually, you know, combined knowledge plus actually putting it into practice, um, you know, through the coaching practice. So the, the first book, which I'd recommend, actually, it's behind me, that one there, Built to Sell, um, by a guy called John Warlow, who is a fantastic consultant. Um, but it tells a tale about, um, you know, an all uh, 
uh, what, do you, what do you call it? So an agency that was kind of doing all of the different services. And then they narrow it down to one product, which they did really well, that created a lot of profit and that was high in demand. People wanted it. Um, I won't give the game away, but um, it's an absolutely fantastic book. It's told as a parable, as a story. <laughs> um, the, other, the other book, which is quite interesting, which we can kind of bring into the mix as well, is The Lean Startup by Eric yes. Adams, which a lot of people kind of assume because it's, it's based on sort of... Um, uh, I guess product design theory, you know, bringing bringing software products into to market, but actually you can apply a lot of the principles to a business in general, but even marketing and also pricing. So, a lot of business owners, one of the biggest mistakes they make is they try and reach this sort of point of perfection before they put anything out into the world, um, mostly for fear of failure, fear of rejection, like people just not liking it, or maybe they put it out there and it's great, but they cut, they don't know how to get customers for it. And, I, you know, the, the, the principles in the Lean Startup, you know, based around um, uh, sort of rather than spending 12 months like perfecting this thing, well, actually, let's do 80% of the work in as fast a time as we can in like a month or six weeks, put it out into the market and see what feedback we get. In the meantime, people then you're, you're educating and telling people about what, what you're doing. So you start to build an audience and then you go through several iterations and then in sort of 12 months time, you've, A, you've got a product now, which is what people want, <laughs> not what you think they want, but actually what they've told you they want because you've got their feedback. Plus you've got an audience and you say, here's my amazing product and you've got people warm enough to buy. And you can apply the same principles to, to pricing as well. People think they've got to build the ultimate product before they put their prices up. But the reality is you need to be out there testing Price, different price points to work out like supply and demand and whether whether you can push the price point because there's nothing worse right and I get this all of the time Stuart somebody will say oh I couldn't possibly put my price up because uh, all of my existing clients will leave and you go okay well what evidence do you have to back that up with have you put your prices up and they go no because they're just too afraid to. I'm like, well, let's go and gather some evidence. Like, let's actually prove that your belief is true. And if it's true, I tell you what, I'll pay you the difference. Because pretty much everybody who I've spoken to has the capacity to be able to, you can't just go out straight out there and just double your price, treble your prices. But at the very least, put your price up by 10, 20, 30% and still make more profit. Doesn't Turnover's irrelevant. Provided your business is making profit, that's the most important thing. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and, and I think you're probably right. Even people that end up putting their prices up and turn around and say some of our customers leave, some of those customers probably should leave because they're costing you more than you're actually making off them, shouldn't they? That's one of the yeah. other great tests that you should you should. So, so Robin, Robin, the brilliant discussion. I, I've got to, I'm going to ask you the last question that I normally ask in these. And it's always the one that worries me the most, which is basically <laughs> what's the one question that I should have asked you? that will give great value that I haven't yet done so. So that's kind of like where you can take over and say, well, you know, there are loads of things we could talk about, but over to you. Well, I'm, I'm going to stick with the pricing theme, if that's okay. So the, yeah, great. The I get asked is, well, how do you increase your pricing? So I have a, a very simple framework called MVT, which is mindset, validation, and testing. So how we go about doing that is, oh, sorry, time, not testing, because that's part of validation. So mindset, validation, and time. So first of all, you have to sow the seed of an idea that you can put your prices up. Um, interesting what you just said there about um, – uh, put you know uh, other sort of wins which you get as a result of putting your price up so um, back in my web design days we put our hosting fees up by um, uh, 5x so we went from 10 pound a month to 50 pound a month 40% of our clients left our revenues went up two and a half times 
But Pixie Dust moment, our support calls dropped by 80%. So that was quite fun. Saved us a massive, like an inordinate, inordinate amount of time. But um, I had to persuade my business partner at the time that it was a good idea to put our prices up. And eventually, he, he you know, mindset-wise, he was like, oh, okay. So I showed him some proof and we, we had the confidence to put our pricing up. The, the next thing to remember is that then we've got to go out and gather some data that it, you know to prove that it was basically a good idea. So what I normally suggest is once you've decided to put your prices up, whether it's 10% or doubling or 5Xing it, it doesn't matter. But you've got to go and pitch it to enough people to prove that the data is right. So you've got to go and pick the next 10 or 20 prospective clients, pitch to them. And I can near as damn it guarantee it that probably at least 20% of them will come back and say, yes, they want to buy from you. Okay. So that's the validation part of it. We've got to go out and prove that people will buy at a higher price point. And then the final part of it, time, is each iteration of a price increase typically takes about four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is like occasionally you get like lucky and the first person you pitch to, you know, comes back and says, yes, we're happy to go ahead with it at double the price. That's fine. More often than not, though, clients are like buses. So you'll pitch to 10. It will be the first eight that say no. And it will be the last two, you know, who say yes. And at that point, we've got data. We've, we've gone out and validated. And what's really fun about it, it doesn't matter whether it's the first person or the 10th person that says yes. Normally what happens is our clients will come back to me and say, oh, my gosh, Robin, I can't believe it. I can't believe, I, A, I was so worried about it. You know, Seneca once said things are much worse in imagination than they are in reality. So I can't believe I was so worried about it. It was, And it was so easy to do it. Oh, and another thing, Robin, I've already put my prices up again. fantastic absolutely fantastic robin that's brilliant story i love it where can people find out more about you so that they can read more about some of this stuff you're doing yeah absolutely so um on the on the pricing side of things shameless plug here Stuart. but they can grab hold of a copy of take your shot you can apply if you're in the uk you can apply for a free paperback copy of this on fearless.biz uh go and hit the resources button there's an option on there to um and I'll, i'll send you the link as well um, but you can go and uh, request a free copy of Take Your Shot. I might sign it. I don't, it depends on how generous I'm feeling. I can't guarantee the value of the book goes up or down either when I sign it. But, um, but yeah, fearless got this. And then we've also got a Facebook group for people who want to know more about sort of actionable techniques to increase your prices as well. Um, go and check out Confidently Charge More um, on Facebook and you'll be able to find my group in there as well. We've got about 1,800 members uh, and tons of value and like free videos and things like that in there as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Robin. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Good luck. Good, good luck to good luck to changing the world's view on pricing. I really love it. Thank you very much again. <laughs> Absolutely. My one man mission. <laughs> Guys, if you've enjoyed what we've been doing here today, subscribe to what we talk do here on It's Not Rocket Science, Five Questions Over Coffee. You'll find us on Facebook. You'll find us on YouTube. And uh, we'll be back in about a week or so with another one of these interviews. Speak to you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye, Robin. Cheers, Stuart.